0: Hi, and welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share real and personal stories of encounters with God and His goodness. I'm your host, Robin, and I'm sitting here today with Dawn, Lindy, and Katie. And it's our hope at Storytellers Live that you would hear this story and that God would meet you in a new way, that you would realize that you're not alone, that you can sit and discuss this story over coffee with friends, just like we sit and discuss this here today, and that community would be built and walls would come down. Today, we have a story from Paige from Auburn, Alabama. And Katie, why don't you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Well, Robin, I think that uh, you're going to get so much out of Paige's story. With it only being two days away from Valentine's Day, we thought that it was only appropriate to bring you a story about marriage. And I will tell you, Paige is raw about her insecurities, about her control issues, and she really opens up about how God just healed her marriage. And I just believe you're going to get so much out of it.
0: Yeah, and and for those of you that aren't married, we still encourage you to listen because there is so much in here that is so good about communication and just communicating with friends or family different people and really she learns about letting go of control and letting God do the work that's right and here's Paige's story
2: Today's episode is sponsored by Village Dermatology, and y'all, I just turned 50, and I wish I would have started sooner taking care of my skin. The good news is I've learned it's never too late. Village Dermatology offers all your skin care under one roof, medical, cosmetic, an aesthetic and laser center, and a skin for life boutique. So if you have a teenager struggling with acne, maybe a loved one suffering with eczema, or maybe you wanna look refreshed, Village has you covered. Check out their online store for medical-grade skincare. You can visit their website at villagedermatology.net. Village Dermatology wants you to face every moment of your life with confidence. So go to villagedermatology.net, and if you use the code STORYTELLERS20, you get 20% off online and in person at their Skin for Life boutique. Village Dermatology. Live a beautiful life.
3: Thanks, everybody, for being here, and thank you, Storytellers Team, for hosting me. And just like Riley said, I do have a good story. I know that, but it is a long one, so um, for that reason, I did write a book, and hopefully it will be out by Veterans Day this year. Again, it's called Beautifully Broken, so I hope you guys will be looking out for that. But I'm going to do all that I can (coughs) to keep pieces of that story along the lines of what I've been asked to talk about today, and that is marriage. And so, um, just getting started, my name is Paige Wetzel. I'm 31 years old. I am the mom of two little girls, Harper and Peyton. Harper is uh, six years old, Peyton is three, and I've been married to my husband Josh for nine years. And just a little background, growing up, I was a really like super structured person, very driven, very focused in the classroom, playing sports, and and I very much carried those things into college. I played volleyball in college. I played at Jacksonville State University, and, and I felt that I had a lot of expectation put on me, and I wanted very much to meet those expectations. So I was always working hard, always reporting to the adults in my life, and, and trying to make them happy and when I was in my freshman year of college, I met my husband, and he was on his second freshman year, if you know what I mean by that. Um, Josh was there to enjoy himself. He was there to live in the moment, have a good time. Josh has never met a stranger. He's never not gotten along with anyone And if he doesn't get along with them, he is not aware of it. I mean, he just like rolls with the punches and um, really doesn't have a problem with anyone. And I found myself, um, you know, we kind of started our relationship being very confused by (laughs) this attraction because Josh didn't check any of my boxes. Like other than being like really good looking, it was kind of like, you know, he wasn't driven like I was and he wasn't super focused or anything but I just like I felt that and this is kind of a harsh word but it was almost like the things that annoyed me about him I was also secretly insanely jealous of like I wanted to be able to just you know if I had a problem with someone like we worked it out or maybe we didn't but just go on with life and I I just didn't understand that and I didn't have that And I really knew, I knew that I needed someone like that, that had that perspective on life. But at the same time, I also felt myself kind of like really wanting to kind of mold Josh into this, um, into this person that I don't think he was necessarily meant to be. And through our college years, that outlook on life for Josh, in that chapter of life, it didn't really service him the best. Um, he got himself kind of in a bad academic situation in school um, after his third and fourth freshman years. And um, and we got to a crossroads where I was like, you know, I love you, but you've got some things you got to figure out, and I can't figure them out for you. Just take some time to try to, you know, See what's truly important to you in life. And so we, we broke up, and after several weeks of not talking, um, he called me and said he was going to join the Army. And I had three thoughts. I was like, good for you. You know, number one, just taking control of your life, doing, choosing to do something honorable. was. I was very proud of that. Um, my second thought was, so, you know, in the Army they do stuff like early, like in the morning, like, like you can't make it to your nine o'clock class. How are you going to make it to like five o'clock exercise every day? But then my third thought was go for it. This doesn't affect me, which ha ha, here I am 10 years later on a podcast telling you about it. So um, it affected me greatly. And um, despite all of my, all of my reservations about it, my concerns I've never seen someone get in an environment and just thrive. I mean, Josh was so cut out for the military. And I never thought that he changed, like, personality-wise. He was still very lighthearted and goofy, and, and he was easy to be around. But, I mean, the things that you have to do in the military that bothers everyone, it didn't bother him. He didn't mind going out in the woods and not having dry clothes on for four days, it, it, that stuff didn't bother him. And so while Army life was very hard for me to accept, at this point we had you know, gotten back together and we were talking about getting married at this point, but it it bothered me a lot. And it really just, I kind of, I was so proud of him, but inside I was just kind of like, how does this work out for my life and how does this work out for you know, what I'm trying to do with myself. And um, I supported him, but I was still kind of like trying to coach him into being like, you know, a certain way that was a little more comfortable for me. And so we, um, we got married in December of 2010. In August of 2011, we moved to his first duty station. Um, He was stationed in Fort Lewis, Washington, so we moved from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, all the way to Washington State, and um, in March of 2012, he deployed. He was with an infantry unit, and um, infantry units are like the the boots-on-the-ground units. So um, Josh deployed to a town um, called Mushan, Afghanistan. Mushan is a really primitive place. It's like this place has never had electricity. They've never had running water they the people like live with their animals and stuff. And so it's a very it's very easy for the Taliban to have heavy influence in places like that because ju- the people just don't have any resources. They're easily intimidated. And so Josh's mission over there, his unit's mission was to find bad guys and clear the area of IEDs, which is improvised explosive devices. And a lot of those were um usually buried underground, meant to, like, blow up trucks, blow up people, all that kind of stuff. Well, when the fighting tactic became looking for IEDs, they they, um, ended up kind of changing their training method to um, walking behind someone with a metal detector because that was the only way you were going to know one was buried underground. And so, Josh volunteered for that position. He had a couple younger guys that had tried it, and he felt like they were being a little careless. People were still getting hurt. They were still running over these bombs, and obviously that was causing, I mean, financially it was hard to recover from because those those were some big assets that were getting damaged and they couldn't go out on other missions without those things. And so Josh decided that he could be careful enough. He knew what he was looking for and he wanted to be the person with the metal detector. So again, that's um, not something I would have decided to do, you know, a huge just difference. and, And the both of us is just, I would have stayed in rank, done what my job was, and and Josh kind of pursued that opportunity. And um, on May 31st of 2012, Josh's unit was on a, his platoon was on a patrol, and they were going to clear this area where they felt like there might have been some Taliban influence. And so they're walking down the road, and um, Josh is told to take his group through this low place in the wall. And so, like, imagine being on a dirt road, And there's a like mud wall that is separating the road from like a crop field of some kind. And there would be a low place, like cut out of the wall, where you could like take a shortcut into that field. And so Josh is leading his guys through that opening. And when he steps over the wall, um, Josh stepped on the first all carbon IED that they had found on that deployment. So his metal detector did not pick it up. He was blown into the air, landed on his head. Um, immediately he had severe damage to his left arm and immediate loss of both of his legs. He's laying there and he's kind of, um, he hears everybody screaming around him, like get a medic over here. And his medic was his best friend, um, still his best friend. And he's he comes over to Josh and he is like visibly like shook up by this. And he's really upset that it's his friend and Um, he's kind of forgetting all the things he's supposed to say when this happens to someone. And he's just like, you're going to be okay, you're going to be okay. He's really kind of frantic. And um, Josh just grabs him and says, hey, man, did you see that sick flip I just did? (laughs) And, And when I heard that story, that was the first time that I remember thanking God that Josh was nothing like me. Mm-hmm. And um, I had done a lot of coaching and trying to convince him to be certain ways and whatever. And Paige Wetzel wouldn't have laid there in that situation and said something like that. You know, you're you're sitting there and your life may end in that moment and you're trying to help somebody else. So... Um, so from that point forward, um, <clears throat> it took it took about five days for, for Josh to get back to the U.S., by far the worst five days of my entire life. But once he got back, um, it was all about his recovery. So I've just heard this story about his amazing attitude. I've decided I'm taking on an amazing attitude. And we were like this power couple in this situation. And we certainly had bad days and things, but like, Josh's lightheartedness and his ability to joke around and all of those things were really just getting him through all of this like terrible physical therapy he had to do. When we first got there, Josh was going to surgery every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for like 7 plus hours at a time. So, being able to get through that and still smile and, you know, we'd put things on social media about, you know, Josh wants everybody to have a good day and, you know, things like that. And I was still my very, like, straight-laced, focused, determined, you know, personality. I was keeping doctors on task. I was keeping nurses on task. I was, you know, I, if Josh wasn't doing something that someone else was doing, I was asking why. And um, and through that, it was like our our powers combined, we really became something that, like propelled his recovery to a positive experience, not just something we had to get through. And so after, after all of that time, and after us kind of having to, to tackle this thing together, um, it was on it was time to get out, we had to get out of the hospital. And that became the goal. And um, Josh had become very independent. And at this point, we had been at the hospital for um almost two years i had my first child there and i was not pregnant before josh deployed so if that gives you any kind of um understanding of the timeline but so i can just remember you know we're in this this phase of his recovery where it's like we're just checking the boxes to like medically retire from the military There's a lot of boxes you got to check. And I can just remember kind of sitting there and fantasizing about, like, when I get out of here. You know, when I get out of here, I'm going to have this, and I'm going to finally have a job, and my daughter's going to have this, and we're not going to be living in this barracks room anymore. And when we left the hospital, it was literally like going from daycare to college. We went from a place where every third person was an amputee and everything about the hospital was for amputees to moving to Auburn, Alabama, where we didn't know if there were amputees around here. And if there were, it was almost guaranteed they hadn't gone through what we'd gone through. And I think what kind of slowly but surely happened you know when you when I look back and kind of think like well how did that happen I really feel like it was just kind of a, a tactic of the devil to kind of slowly infiltrate in in a relationship you know just like slowly drive a wedge between two people and Josh had an opportunity to finish his degree at Auburn which thank heaven for that. After we know about all of his freshman years, but he had he had this opportunity that he couldn't pass up, and I had an opportunity. I had almost um, I had gotten a job almost immediately, and I had an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And it was like we went from like being this amazing team to being two individuals again, and we were just like white knuckling like my thing, you know, this is my thing. I've waited around long enough. I've been in this hospital long enough. And, you know, I would say that, like, I mean, I verbally said that to my husband a couple of times, like I've been in this hospital long enough as if he wasn't there, you know? <laughs> and so, but I mean, I was just adamant that like, it's my turn. I've got goals. I got things I'm trying to do. And you're going to make sure that you're getting out of the way of those things. And... um Josh in a lot of ways kind of felt the same way. He he had things he wanted to do and he was trying to, you know, get in with Auburn Athletics, which is what he does now, but it was a very like like whatever it takes type mentality. And so, uh we had after about I'd say my first 18 months probably into the civilian world, Josh and I were so like I think if I could describe it it's like that phrase like at each other's throats like it's just like I mean he couldn't blink right like everything he did bothered me we didn't speak to each other unless we were spoken to and half the time we were just talking about logistical things with our child but we got to a point where we truly could not find any common ground we didn't like being around each other We took every opportunity to get away from each other, like hanging out with friends or whatever. And before long, we found ourselves like not sleeping in the same room and having serious discussions about divorce. And in the back of my mind, I was kind of like, you know, how do we survive everything we survived? And then it's like this day-to-day stuff is what's going to tear us apart, you know, but again, we we were sitting there just gripping our things, like what I want and, and what I'm motivated towards. Like that is, only, that is the number one priority for me right now. And so we held on so tightly to that and nobody would loosen their grip. And I had reached out to a divorce lawyer and just kind of said like, what would this look like? You know, I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to do any kind of like, crazy custody things like what's the the cleanest way to do this and he had sent me some things I was kind of mulling over that and I was on my way to work one day and I got a phone call from Alaska I don't know anybody from Alaska so I just let it go to voicemail and the message was from a representative of Operation Heal Our Patriots which is an organization owned by Franklin Graham, which is Billy Graham's son, and um, he just said, this is a retreat for married people that have one or both of the spouses have been in combat, and it is just a way to for you guys to get away, but also get some just spiritual structuring underneath your relationship again, <laughs> and I was like, you know, at that point, I had a choice. I was kind of like, I could just call him back and be like, well, too little, too late. You know, we're already in this bad place and whatever. We don't think it's salvageable. Or I could have said, you know, this is an opportunity to obey the Lord. And so that's what I chose to do. I went to Josh and I was just like, look, I don't know what's going to happen in the next five days or the next five years. But to me, this is a huge opportunity that does not come around by accident. And just to give a little background on this, we were fully aware of this trip because when we were in the hospital, our friends, they got to go on it. They were like, it's amazing. You have to go. It's the most awesome thing we've ever done. They helped us out so much, blah, blah, blah. I applied for this trip in 2012, 2013, 2014, and I quit applying in 2015. And they called us the spring of 2016 when I was about to just toss it. And so it was just not an accident. There was no way. And so we like hugged each other for the first time in a long time. And we got ourselves ready to go to Alaska. And so we get there and it's like the most beautiful place I've ever been. Like when you look out there, it like doesn't look real. You know, it was just like, it's in the most serene place you've ever been. It's like, it's so um, remote that you have to fly a plane onto Lake Clark because there are no roads from any major cities to this place. And so we're there and it's like the first thing they tell us, they're like, all right, go drop your stuff. We're going to go fishing, which is smart because that's how you get the boys bought in. And so all the guys are like, awesome. And so we go and we're like, we're on this like lake in the middle of Alaska. And it's just like the most beautiful place you've ever been and then they feed us this huge steak dinner, and then we have our first session. And so the sessions are run by a Navy chaplain and his wife and an Army chaplain and his wife. And, you know, they're talking about how, like, you know, we want to just kind of, we want to give you guys a platform to kind of just get to know each other a little better, because, you know, there's no one in the world that's been through what you guys have had to go through, and, and we want to just open the door for that where you can have some honest conversations. So let's do an icebreaker, which everyone loves an icebreaker. (laughs) And uh, they were like, it started with just like a hand raising survey, you know, and it was, it started with silly stuff. It was like, uh, you know, raise your hand if it drives you nuts, how your spouse like squirts toothpaste out of the tube and like everybody's giggling and raising their hands. And then as we go on, it is, I mean, I felt like these people were spying on us. It was like, and I, I'm, they were like, I'm willing to bet some of you aren't sleeping in the same room anymore or that your time in combat is, some, is the no-fly zone. You don't talk about that anymore. And it was like, while at first it kind of took my breath away, I looked around the room and saw that like 100% of the people in that room felt that way. And then I just felt this like rush of hope over us because I was like, we're normal. Like we are normal people. Like other people are going through this. Other people have it. They're doing as bad as we are. This is awesome. You know? (laughs) And so, and so when I got to that point, it was kind of like, I was so bought in at that point. I was like, okay, tell us what to do. Tell us what to do. And we just learned like how, you know we we did some different like assessments and things like that but it was just so eye opening to see that like the same like goofy guy that i had met my freshman year of college was still very much like present in my marriage but i wasn't we weren't building those things up in e- in each other we were so like centered on the things that we didn't like or the things that annoyed us or whatever and it was almost like we had forgotten to look for all the wonderful things and so we they gave us just some wonderful just tools and talking points and when you don't agree this is something you can do and and that kind of stuff and from that point i really think you know what what we learned was like we are 100% opposite people i mean even to this day we're so so opposite but they created leaders out of us because I think a good leader can see someone else has something that you lack and you bring something to them that they lack. And and so I think, you know, we're a sports family and I think about it in a, a way of like, we learned how to play our positions. You know, if you're thinking about if you make a baseball team analogy, you know, you can't have a team full of pitchers. You can't have a team full of hitters. And the pitchers don't need to make the hitters more like them and vice versa. You know, you've got to have, you got to be well-rounded. And there are so many things that um, that Josh can do that I can't. There are so many things that I can do that he can't. And when we, when we find those good things in each other, I think what I've seen from our just like things that used to be arguments that are now discussions, it went from me versus you to us versus the problem. Because we just realized that problems are opportunities for us to come together and do something together. Like we decided this together. We figured this out together rather than going back to our old ways, you know, when we were little baby civilians and, you know, just like gripping something to death, like this is the way it's going to be done. And... And so I feel like, you know, when, when I would get in those situations with, with Josh, like, okay, he's just on another planet from me right now. Like we do not see eye to eye. We are not agreeing kind of at a standstill. I always think about, um, Galatians 6, 9, which is, which is the verse that I wanted to share tonight, but, um, it's let us not grow weary in doing good for in time you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. And as a wife or as a husband, your responsibility, I mean, it's truly your responsibility to speak the good in your spouse, like more than anyone on earth, more than their parents, more than a boss that's promoting them. Like no one should call out the good in your spouse like you do. And you should reserve that right because you're their roommate. Like you see all the bad also. And so to be able to find those things, you know that those are truly like deeply rooted good things. It's not something you do just to make other people happy because you're in their space when things are ugly and and when the mask is off and that kind of thing. And so it's your responsibility to find it and build it up, but also to show appreciation for it. And not because your spouse deserves it, but because God deserves it. God deserves to see you appreciate the thing that He brought together. You know, appreciate the the two puzzle pieces that are incomplete without the person that fits into those spaces. And so, so I think just the thing that I've learned is like bringing out the good and like recalling the good in him, especially when I'm frustrated or when I feel like we're really just at a standstill with something that is going, that usually leads us like right to the thing that he's going to bring to the team, what I bring to the team, and we're going to figure it out. And, you know, when I was getting prepped for this, I was on a Skype interview and One of the questions was, where did I find freedom? Like, how did I find freedom in that, from that coaching and feeling like I got to, I got to make him a certain way or whatever. How did I get free of that? And that this is where I find freedom. It's just listing, literally, like if I have to write it down, listing the things that he does well and remembering that without those things, that our team, like we're not playing our positions and and like, we can't win together. I mean, you you can be as individualized as you want, but you win as a team and you lose as a team when you're married. And so just my encouragement would be to just hang on to Galatians 6, 9 and don't grow weary in doing good because at the end of the day, you can lay your head down at night. Even if your spouse isn't responding to that right away, you can lay your head down at night knowing that no matter what they do, you're choosing to build them up, and you're choosing to call out the good in them. So that's it. That's my story. (laughs) Paige, do you
1: mind sharing a little bit about how y'all ended up here? I love that part of your story that you shared.
3: I would love to share how I got to Auburn, Alabama. So this is a great story. I'm telling you, get the book. I'm telling you. Um, But... Uh, so when we were at Walter Reed hospital, the president would come around and visit about once a month. And at that time we were in the Obama administration and Josh, because he was going to surgery so often, he hardly ever was wearing clothing. I mean, we just kept like sheets on him because at any moment he could be like in emergency surgery. And so we heard the president was coming and Josh He's also on a lot of drugs at this point. He's not really in his right mind ever. So he would get like obsessed with something, and you just couldn't, you couldn't talk him out of it. And um, he was like, "I have to have an Auburn shirt when President Obama gets here." And I'm just thinking, like, you need, you just need a shirt. You've not had a shirt on in you know months. And I was like, why an Auburn shirt? Like, why? And he was like, I have to have it. There was just no explanation. That's just what we had to have. Well, Walter Reed Hospital is in Bethesda, Maryland. There are no easy access to Auburn things. And so, anyway, we get um, an Auburn shirt sent to us by the Auburn Alumni Association from Kate Larkin, who's here tonight. Um, Raise your hand. Uh, But, but. Kate knew about us, um, and she was sending us stuff, just, you know, posters and things like that, because she knew Josh was an Auburn fan. And when the president came, we, I asked President Obama if he would say a prayer with us, and I let us in a prayer. And his photographer took a picture of us praying, and that picture was hung in the west wing of the White House, and it was one of Obama's top 100 photos of 2012. And so it goes viral or whatever, and then it was like, you know, Auburn fan meets with the president, blah, 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 you know. And so through that, um, the university started reaching out to us, not just Kate Larkin as a representative of the Alumni Association, but now the university is kind of trying to, like, do you want to come be an honorary captain and all these things? And, and then uh, we went down for, uh, I want to say it was a Texas A&M game, and Josh was the captain of that game, and we were going to meet with um, someone from you know the academic side of things. And let me just tell you, I had a bad attitude about that. I was like, we are not going back to school. We cannot afford it. We're not doing this again. Just drop it. And through them and the Office of Veterans Affairs and just the awesome Veterans Association that we have at Auburn University, we found out that Josh was going to get to go back to school and not have to pay for anything. So we come down for this trip for Josh to just like, be on the field at a football game and we basically go back home and call all of our family and we're like when we get out of this hospital we're we're moving to auburn so and before that we we didn't know where we were going so that's how we got here
2: so after you y'all went to the retreat
1: were things good when y'all went back home almost immediately it sounds
3: like oh yeah just perfect um no <laughs> <laughs> no. no it was literally it was it was it was funny because it was like you know, we had been, there was no way to even like update people of what we were doing. You had to use a landline. Like there was no Wi Fi, nothing. So we were completely unplugged, which was awesome for like really digging into this stuff. But like they had a little workbook where it was like, you know, write, you know, write down your feelings about these things or what did you learn about your spouse day, blah, blah, blah. And we would kind of get into it. And we would get our little workbooks out and it was like, okay, so I would like to know how you feel about these things. I mean, we were like robot people because we had never we had never approached a conversation like that, you know. But you know, even even now I'll say like I'm telling you, we are so opposite. That's not like how opposite we are has not gotten any better. Like, not at all. Like I would say we literally agree. Um, maybe 10% of all things. Um, That's parenting stuff. We should spend our money on like everything, but we just choose to not fight about it. I mean, we're just not fighting about it, you know, and I think it's very healthy because our children see us disagree and I want them to see that, you know, like there are a lot of parents that I think they like, they'll get in another room or something like that. And that's totally fine, you know, but I think it's one of those things it's really important for my kids to see us like not agree but like the world doesn't fall apart you know because like you're they're gonna go into the world and not get along with everybody and you gotta have some skills to like disagree and not sever your relationship so um but yeah I mean they're that little book I mean we went on that trip and 2016 and that little workbook is in the nightstand even now you know so um but yeah I mean we just had no we had no idea how to like have healthy conversation so that's what we learned and we're still learning it so
2: one more thing now how did where is he working now and how did all that come Do
3: his job. Mm -hmm. So Josh um, graduated from Auburn in 2016 and he was a student intern in the communications department the whole time which was hilarious because he's like 30 years old and he's working with all these like 18 year olds that yeah they don't want to do anything till like 9 p.m. on Sunday nights and he's got kids and a family to think about whatever but uh, he graduated and then he was he was a TES position and was sports information director for um, women's tennis. So that was his first, like, paid position. And now Josh is our full-time social media person for um, all of Auburn Tigers' accounts and Auburn men's basketball. So.
2: And what about your job? Tell, tell them
3: about it. Uh, well, I've been the director of ops for Auburn Volleyball for the last four years. So, and before that I was a head coach at two, at a division two school and, um, an AI school.
1: Hey, I loved when we did the video call, how you kind of referenced, like, after y'all got here and got settled, um, you referenced community and finding community and the value of that. Would you talk a little bit?
3: Yeah, I think, um, that kind of goes back to like, when we were leaving alaska i felt like they created leadership in us and you know that's something that i think a lot of a lot of veterans have a really hard time with and you know if you guys know a veteran just kind of know that in their minds i think a lot of them really struggle with feeling like they will never do something as important as what they just did ever again and it is so hard to get into the civilian world and not just kind of wear that, you know. And with Josh, he, um, you know, in that whole leadership aspect that we really try to commit to after we went to Alaska, um, one of the things that God really put on us was like really getting into a small group. And um, I think that was one of those things where I could kind of feel this like vibe of, we're good. We don't need to do that. We're good, you know. And um, so I ended up tricking Josh into going to a small group. And it was an amazing group through our church, but it was one of those things where, like, they separate the men and the women. You're talking about the same stuff, but you're in separate rooms and that kind of thing. And Josh, I literally had to just be like, if you hate it, you do not have to come back. I'll keep coming back. You do not have to come back. And it was like after the first night, Josh like would not stop talking about it on the way home and normally he's like he just kind of coexists with things you know but he was just talking about how great it was and he learned so much and the things that the guys were saying and again I found myself like really fighting that urge to just like keep my mouth shut don't try to don't try to like influence how he thinks about it or you know whatever and just listen and you know, by the end of that little small group semester, we ended up getting baptized together. And it was just, that was an awesome day. But that's what he found was just this like community of people. And there wasn't, there weren't any veterans in his first group. Like it was just regular old guys from around the community. And it was amazing to see how much Josh's situation translates to like, Everyday people, you know, when you look at Josh, he he walks on prosthetic legs every day. So, like, just looking at him, you're kind of like, okay, something happened to this guy, you know. And I think people kind of put him at a distance because they're like, well, I could never do what you do or I could never survive what you've survived and stuff. And something that Josh has always, when he speaks, it's he's a really great speaker, but he, he always says that we will all step on a bomb one day like in some way, either in your marriage or with your job or whatever. And it's just your response to it. Like that's what matters, you know? And so I've, um, I've always just like valued that. And, and I try to share that with people too, but he learned that just within the confines of that little small group, like, you know, there's nobody here missing their limbs, but like, you know, this guy's having a really hard time in his marriage or this guy's changing jobs because his company's going under or whatever. And it really gave him more of a reason to tell his story. And so from that, you know, now Josh does a a ton of veteran outreach, which is great because it's like, who wouldn't listen to a veteran with no legs? I mean, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to convince them that you've been through something. They can see that, you know, so um, I think in that community, we just found, like, such not only, like, relatability, but it was almost like two completely unrelated situations helped each other, you know. And uh, you needed someone's perspective on their hard thing, so you could look at your hard thing differently.
2: Well, where is he speaking? You said he's a speaker now.
3: Uh, whenever people ask him, so. If yeah, 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 uh, yeah. He'll—I mean—he'll go to. He answers the phone. Yeah, he'll go to. I mean, he's spoken at churches or um, he's done a couple things with our like men's teams and stuff at Auburn. So yeah.
0: Is his story similar, like on marriage, or is it just what? What
3: would you say? Was the he didn't know there was a problem.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, Josh, no, that's probably really true. He, like, I think Josh is one of those people. He is so, and I think if you talk to him for five minutes, you would say this about him, but he is the most forward-thinking person I've ever met. I can remember it. We were at Walter Reed, and Josh is, like, laying on the couch, and he doesn't have his, like, prosthetic legs on, so, like, just his, like, real legs are in my lap. And I think he might have been injured maybe like six months. And he said, you know, I really don't remember what it was like to have legs. And I was like, what? And he was like, no, seriously, like, I don't remember, like, in the middle of the night, if I don't have my legs on, I don't remember not having to, like, hop in a wheelchair to go to the bathroom. And I mean I just remember thinking like again this is another situation like thank you god that he's nothing like me because I would still be pouting about it like I would still just be like nothing's the same you know and so I think when it comes to how to face things that are happening directly to him like he's he's good he's fine but I think the the downside to a personality is like that is sometimes you don't feel things creeping on you you know and you don't you don't feel that distancing from like I don't think he felt the distancing from me that I initially saw but then when we kind of called it out it was like that's when we both were very very aware of it but yeah he just I mean he's always like I'm good when he says I'm good he truly means it but there are times when he's saying that because he's truly like choosing joy today and then there are times he just is not aware <laughs> so
2: that's interesting he could be like the poster child like I bet he
0: encouraged so many Don't you know, other amputees coming behind him I
3: can't even oh for sure and I think it's like so many of those people us included we tried so hard to like close that chapter you know and I think that's like when I think about like the inception of my like disobedience to the Lord in my marriage. I think it started with that thought. Like, you know, Walter Reed was just a thing that we had to go through. It's over now. We're civilians now. It's time to move on with life. And it's like, yes, we need to move on. There's difference in moving on, moving forward. And we were not moving forward. And we got, I just think we got to a point, or I got to a point where I was like, yeah, I don't think this will never, this will ever not be part of the story until he sprouts his legs back. This will always be something we can talk about, and it's something we should talk about, you know? And so when we quit, like, you know, like, just suppressing it and, like, you know, well, yeah, we, that happened to us, but we've got these jobs now. We're doing good now, whatever. And when we quit, like, just kind of sweeping it under the rug it really became you know just like in that small group it, it we realized how relevant it is today and it will always be you know so it was it's just kind of a um I think that was a combination of like that's how a typical veteran handles those things on top of both of us trying to like prove ourselves in the civilian world you know
0: Well, we could sit here and discuss Paige's story <laughs> yes. all day long. Oh, yeah. I think that there's so much in here that there there's so much that we can all get out of this. I know personally for me, this really hit home. I listened to the story and I, I cried and cried and it took a while for me to regroup because mm-hmm. our family has some stuff going on with a surgery of a child. And mm-hmm. so I understand the the working towards a goal and the living in the hospital and that being your sole focus, and then walking away and going, Now it's my turn. Right. You know, right. that so spoke to me of I've given all my energy and all my time for you, and then now it's all about me. Right. right.
1: And just, yes, <laughs> it's just looking at that long term goal and not concentrating on the day to day, especially mm-hmm. in marriage or just relationships in general. Well, and
2: she yeah. specifically said that, you know, the Satan likes to slowly infiltrate and mm-hmm. then build a wedge, mm-hmm. and so it's it's nothing that happens immediately. It's 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 like that song, slow fade. It's a slow fade, and if you're if you're not speaking the good in your spouse, if you're not being intentional, then he easily creeps in.
1: And you know, another thing you you talk about this slow fade that can happen with our walk with Christ. Absolutely. Right. You know, I mean, you can apply it to so many different areas. I loved you know the verse that she used in in Galatians six. Uh, nine, she said, "Don't don't grow weary in doing good, because in time you're going to reap a harvest. But if you think about that in time, that means we're going to have to have patience. We have to also think, you know, when you sow a seed, you know, it doesn't immediately bloom. You know, you've got to water it, you've got to protect it from weeds. Really, the harvest is determined." By what you do in the waiting mm-hmm. and sometimes the waiting as we all know is is the hardest part and, and especially in a day-to-day you know marriage environment or a friendship you know where we or a parent-child relationship right. you know that that waiting is hard but that's where that trust comes in and you have to just lean in closer to Christ and allow him to really not only do a harvest in that relationship, but a harvest within you and as well. And the fruit well. may
0: not come immediately. That's right. Especially when you're so different. That's <laughs> the other so hard. I relate My husband yes. night and day. <laughs> and that doesn't make it any easier. But I love how
1: she <laughs> talked about how the powers combined. Yes. You know, yes. that was very powerful for me, just as we walk in relationships. Just, you know, he made us each different, and that our powers combine.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that you're fighting together towards the problems, yes. not against each other that's right that's right oh, and yes. then
2: her point of what we're all going to step on a bomb we're oh, all right. going to step on a bomb and yes. so yes. how are you going to handle it and who are you going to look to mm-hmm. um,
0: there was there was really so much here that we we could go on and on and you know if this story spoke to you we'd love to hear it we would love for you to to email us at info at storytellers or Find us on Instagram or Facebook and let us know, uh, you know, what parts of these stories really spoke to you, especially with Paige. There's just so much that we can all learn from it. Thanks for joining us today. And remember that if you're on iTunes, if you would just subscribe, rate and review, it helps us tremendously and other people finding these stories. And we hope you join us next week. We'll talk to you then.